Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Well, hello there, friends, and welcome on into episode 13 of The Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, probably not a surprise, and I'm happy to be back in the big chair and back with you, my dear friends. It is episode 13, although I will say I got a fantastic Twitter comment after our glorious victory episode, episode 12. I forget who sent it in, please forgive me, but they suggested that every show should be episode 12 of the Sco Show. And I really thought about doing that, but we do we do have some standards that I need to adhere to. I got to be a good boy here at the new gig, trying to hit that over on the over-under in Vegas. I forget what the, the line is on right now on the number of shows. But as much as I'd like to name every episode, episode 12, it was a great idea. We got to stick to the standards here. So this is episode 13 and it is another loaded episode. We've got a fantastic guest for you. Today, we're going to talk about one last aspect of the Steelers game that I failed to mention in Sunday night's glorious victory episode. Then we're going to start looking ahead to Miami. I watched that Miami and Baltimore game, took up the All-22 on that on Tuesday, and I've got some thoughts. We're also briefly going to touch on how one member of the Patriots organization is already in playoff form. And then in the second half of the show, I'll sit down with the voice of the Patriots, Mr. Bob Soshi from 98.5 The Sports Hub. He's kind enough to join me to break down the week one victory over Pittsburgh. But before we get to all of that, your usual cavalcade of reminders. Please do follow along with the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schofield. You might have seen some game clips as I watch games. I'll post some stuff out if it catches my fancy, so to speak. Saw some plays where Josh Allen was just getting lit up. But standing in there and making a pocket makes you kind of wonder about that week four game at Buffalo. Just saying. So follow along with Twitter. At Mark Schofield, check out the work at places like InsideThePylon.com, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, Matt Waldman RSP.com, Pro Football Weekly, that triumvirate of SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host the QB Sco Show with the Honorable Michael J. Kist, and of course, Pat's Pulpit, where you can find this podcast along with some film breakdowns and more. Also, don't forget, you can be part of the ongoing discussion on the Sco Show's Slack channel. Lucky and honored to have a grown community of Pats fans constantly talking Pats and more over there, including some fantasy stuff, so you can hit me up for an invitation via Twitter or email mark.schoolfield at insidethepylon.com. Also, friends, quick little ask for help. As you know, I've often said that this show is yours. I'm just the body and in the chair, but help me help you. One way you can do that is by leaving reviews for the show on places like Apple Podcasts and more. I'm not saying you have to, but it would be a nice gift for your boy. First, let's talk for a second, just briefly about Sunday night, because we're going to do more of that with Bob in a second. But I did want to talk about something that I failed to mention in not the great, 
part of the show. Not the also great part of the show, but the bad part of the show. I, I had jotted this down. It was something that I caught during the game, and I don't think I dove into it. And that's the center snaps from Shotgun from center Ted Karras. Now, it was a big ask for him to step in and replace David Andrews. Somewhat short notice, in a sense. And so, he had a lot going on. Had a tough nose tackle and Hargraves to face. He had a lot to do. They, they ask a lot of the centers in most offensive schemes. But when you're talking about protecting Tom Brady and protecting those A-gaps, it's a big ask. But the center snaps were a bit off in terms of their timing. They didn't get back that quickly. Sometimes they floated a bit. Sometimes they hunt a bit. You would see the play start to develop. The pocket sort of start to form. And Brady sort of waiting for the ball to get to him. And it did at times more early in the game than late in the game. But it did sort of throw off the timing of things. And if you think to sort of say that second quarter time frame of the game into the third quarter, they did a lot more with Brady throwing out of play action, operating under center. It's just something to watch. It's not a true concern. Bob here in a moment is going to talk about it as well as it did sort of throw off the timing and he sort of wonders if Brady was rusty a bit early, partly because of that, as he was sort of adjusting to the timing and the flow of plays, how it is going to be right now or how it was at that point. So it is just something to keep in mind and I did sort of want to just mention that. Just, again... I get nitpicky at times, but when you're talking about a six-time Super Bowl champion, you get nitpicky. That's what separates you from the pack. And so if I seem nitpicky, it's what I do. Miami. Just some early thoughts. We're going to talk more Miami in tomorrow's show, episode 14, with Kyle Krabs from the Fin It to Win It podcast, and I'll have more of my thoughts on what to expect when those teams kick off down in South Beach. But I know we've often said, as Patriots fans, that Miami, it's our house of horrors. They go down there and they lose. They struggle down there. You have fears about playing down there in the weather. Last year, week two, they went down to Jacksonville and struggled in the heat and humidity of that day. Some members of the then Locked On Patriots Slack channel, now the Scotia Slack channel, were at that game. And it was hot just in the stands. So you do wonder about the weather implications of it. We wonder about the fact that the Patriots often struggle at Miami, whether it's in September or December. We know how the game ended last year down there. After watching that Baltimore-Miami game, I don't feel as concerned. Remember when we talked to Nora Princiotti last week about the week one games and how they're a good reflection of who you are as a team, you know, where you are as a team, as an organization. If that holds, this Miami team is not very good. Offensively, they struggled. Fitzpatrick, yeah, he can run around back there at times. He can extend plays at times. But they don't have a lot on the offensive side of the ball. Not a ton schematically. Their best play was probably a Yankee concept play when they brought in Devontae Parker. Max protection, they had a little pre-snap motion. You have the over route from right to left, the deep post over the top with Parker. It's a cover two coverage in the secondary, so Parker sort of splits the safeties, but both safeties read it well and squeeze that throwing lane. Fitzpatrick forces one in Parker's general direction, and he just outjumps everybody. Like that was arguably their best offensive play of the day. 
And they don't have a lot going on. They do a lot with sort of screens to the backs out of the backfield, swing screens, design screens where they're, you know, running, releasing to the flat and both receivers are blocking. But I didn't see a ton of stuff to worry about them when they have the football. When they're on defense, Lamar Jackson, look, let's just get it out there. Lamar Jackson played great. And for those of us that were believers in Lamar Jackson coming out of Louisville, of which I consider myself a member of that group, it was great to see him play the way he did. Process and speed seemed better. His feet were calm in the pocket. Made a number of great decisions. I saw him using his eyes at times to look off defenders, even when defenders weren't there to be looked off because they were out of position for whatever reason. So he looked great. But Miami struggled on the defensive side of the ball. One thing to mention, play action. They bit hard on a number of play action looks, RPO type looks, getting guys out of position, I, th- I think it was Lamar's first touchdown pass. It was a simple play that the Patriots basically have in the playbook as well. It was tosser, double slant from the left off of an RPO design, and the free safety in the middle of the field saw Lamar Jackson put the football in the belly of Mark Ingram, and he came downhill like he was shot out of a cannon. Just absolutely no regard for cover in the middle of the field. And of course, Lamar Jackson pulls it and throws a simple slant route, the corner misses the tackle who's covering Hollywood Brown. And there's nobody in the middle of the field because the, the free safety, Bobby McClain, just, he's down at the line of scrimmage at this point. And so they really bit hard on play action. And so if you think back to what the Patriots were able to do last week and so much of their offense seemed to come off of play action, particularly with Sony Michelle in the game as a running back, I feel pretty good right now sitting here again You know, this is a Wednesday show about this meeting. Now, obviously, anything can happen, any given Sunday and all that, but I'll I'll have more on this show, on this game tomorrow and tomorrow's show, but I feel pretty good right now. One last thing before the break, I mentioned one member of the organization seems to be already in playoff mode, and that's Bill Belichick himself. He addressed the media on Tuesday, and he was asked, as you might expect, a number of questions about Antonio Brown. Here's just a snippet of that question. What makes you confident that Antonio Brown won't be as disruptive here as he was in Oakland or Pittsburgh? And what was it difficult for you to reconcile what he was coming off of last week in Oakland with Brennan Hem aboard? Answer. This is the transcript from Patriots.com. Well, I wasn't in either one of those places, so I really can't comment on what did or didn't happen there. Question. It's pretty well documented that he was disruptive in both places. What makes you confident that he won't be that way here? Belichick. It's the same thing you said about Randy Moss when we brought him in. Question, me? Reporter getting a bit defensive there. Answer, collectively. Bill Belichick in postseason form. Up next, my great chat with Bob Sochi, the voice of the Patriots. We're 98.5 The Sports Hub. We're going to talk about the Steelers game. We're going to talk about Brady and if Bob's run out of ways to describe his play. And of course, the question that Bob says he gets all the time to the point where he has a stock answer for it. What's it like calling a game with Scott Zolak? That's ahead on episode 13 of The Sco Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. 
And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. And welcome back to episode 13 of The Sco Show, probably a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. Could not be more excited for our next guest. He is the voice of the Patriots, the one and only Bob Soshi, kind enough to take some time with us. Bob, sir, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Mark. Uh, it was a long night at Gillette, of course, but an exciting start and certainly, I think, uh, a gratifying finish. For the Pats, uh, it was a uh, really dominating performance, as you know, in the opener against the Steelers. And uh, just to be back and to be part of that uh, pregame ceremony, at least as a as an observer, let alone uh, as the guy to think back and, and uh, remember calling Super Bowl 53. And, uh, of course, looking ahead to what, what what's going to unfold in 2019, uh, hopefully for the Patriots, you know, they'll be back on that stage for Super Bowl 54. But, uh, you know, it's just a... Everything about it is is exciting. And, uh, last night, in particular, as we talked, although uh, it, it certainly was a late night and a long night, nonetheless, it was a good one. It was a good one, Bob. And so, sort of, let's start here. We're looking back at this Steelers game and the season over. What was your sort of top level takeaway from Sunday night? Offense, defense. What was it? Well, I think offensively, to consider what the Patriots did against the Steelers, scoring thirty three points. And doing it, as Scott Zolak on the broadcast pointed out uh, several times, really without a tight end involved in the offense very right. much. Ryan Izzo was out there, but he was flexed away from uh, the line uh, often. And uh, really, you know, when you think about the tight end success for the Patriots through the years, and especially against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and to operate the way they did, and, and the game plan that Josh McDaniels put together, the utilization of, of the bats in the running game, I mean, excuse me, in the passing game with the Steelers, really, you know, outside of James White early and Rex Burkhead a little bit later on, did a really good job, I think, in in, in uh, setting a, you know, their defensive tone initially with, uh, you know, the way they played the run against Sonia Michelle, and, and uh, that's a very good defensive front, but the Patriots were able to adjust, and something McDaniels does so well. Uh, but just the creativity in, in that game plan not to have you know, the full complement of receivers with Demarius Thomas down dealing with a hamstring injury, uh, thinking about what they could be uh, with Antonio Brown if he's right, which I'm sure we'll get into, uh, and, and to consider that they played the, the, a team that thought it had improved its defense uh, a great deal over last year, scored 33 points and went 0 for 3 in the red zone, and, uh, you know, really – uh, weren't nearly as efficient in the second half. Uh, in comparison, I, I think it, it's 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 a great sign because uh, this team's going to put even uh, uh, you know more pieces in place, and I think that uh, you know they'll continue to build on what we saw last night. And uh, and, and Josh McDaniels is going to have uh, an even uh, bigger canvas to use that palette uh, to, to kind of you know brush the strokes as the season goes along. You know, Bob, I'm an offensive-minded guy, but I want to sort of start on the defensive side of the ball. We'll get to the <laughs> offense again in a second. Yeah. But I always feel like, you know, it's hard not to talk about Tom Brady and company, but this is defense. Another impressive performance coming off what they did in Super Bowl 53. I thought the secondary was fantastic. But what stood out to you watching this defensive group and how good can it be? 
Yeah, Mark, and I think you know you, you certainly uh, are, are, are astute uh, in, in, in raising that point, uh, and uh, it, it, it underscores <laughs> my lack of <laughs> awareness and alertness this morning. But uh, it's, it was a lot night, Bob. It was a lot night. <laughs> when I think about the defense, I, I, I just keep going back to this time last year when the Pats opened up yeah. 2018, and there were so many questions about the defense. And I even think about, for example, last year's game against the Steelers uh, toward the end of the campaign in, in, in 2018 when they really got carved up uh, on that uh, Sunday afternoon in Pittsburgh uh, with uh, Jalen Samuels rushing for well over 100 yards. And uh, the Patriots, you know, in, the, in that game went in a, a bit lighter. Uh, they didn't have Danny Shelton active. And, you know, they did a good job for the most part on the Steelers' uh, passing weapons with a couple of exceptions, touchdown pass to McDonald. And uh, James Washington uh, had a long completion uh, from Roethlisberger last year. But overall, the Pats you know, defensively played pretty well. And then I think about what they did last night against the Steelers. And, you know, there was no running game for Pittsburgh whatsoever. James Conner, a non-factor, caught the ball a couple of times. But uh, the Patriots you know, were, were able to, uh, you know, force three and outs, uh, three in a row. I think the Steelers, you know, punted on every possession uh, to start, uh, except for uh, when they turned it over on downs uh, before, before the end of the half. Uh, the Patriots, you know, really uh, completely... Uh, Blanket of the field, the only long completion uh, when the game you know, wasn't out of hand was uh, the ball that um, Roethlisberger completed to James Washington, right. and it looked like Jason McCourty kind of pulled up a little bit in the round. Uh, but, but getting away from the technical part of it, and, and you know, circling back to to you know the, the point about the difference this year and last year, I just think there's so much. There's like the offense. There's there's versatility here, and there's depth. Uh, on the defense that I think exceeds that on the offense. When you look at the secondary mark and you consider how well these guys are covering, but also the numbers of people they now have at cornerback. Uh, when you can put uh, uh, four cornerbacks uh, in, in a lineup like they have, considering the way Jason McCourty played last year uh, with Stefan Gilmore, J.C. Jackson, and Jonathan Jones, and Jason McCourty, and then, of course, the safeties, Chung, Devin McCourty, and, and Deron Harmon, but also the linebackers, the depth at linebacker. I think how good Dante Hightower was moving around last night. He looks leaner and looks faster and quicker. Uh, and uh, again, the play of the defensive line, because, you know, I think the Steelers have such a good offensive line. And, and I know they don't have all the weapons they used to have, but that's still an experienced group. And, and the Patriots. You know, they didn't necessarily get to Roethlisberger for sacks, but they were able to get some pressure on him. Uh, they forced him to move laterally, uh, and uh, they, they didn't give the Steelers an inch, really, uh, and when Pittsburgh tried to run it. Uh, and, uh, you know, two fourth-down stops uh, for the Steve Patriots defense. And really impressive overall. You know, Bob, you mentioned the depth they have on the defensive side of the ball pretty much at all levels of the field. And a guy that I thought stood out last night was John Simon, kind of Mm -hmm. an underrated guy, but I love the way he was set on the edge at times, was active with his hands, broke up a pass. What kind of contribution contribution do you think he can make throughout the season? Well, Mark, look back at last year's postseason. Played about half the the snaps for the Patriots defensively in in the playoffs. 45%, I think. The Mm -hmm. game that he had against the Chargers, and then, you know, as well as he played, uh, in, in the ensuing two rounds. And I think about, you know, him being uh, almost like a quintessential uh, Patriot uh, right, pickup. Right. You know, a guy that they got off the street, 
certainly, uh, you know, I thought had, had played well in some spots with the Houston Texans when we had seen him in the past, but didn't really know a whole lot about and thought when they got him last year, this is a guy that will help him on special teams. But defensively smart and tough, and I think more athletic, too, than, uh, you know, he, he probably has been given credit for. When you consider like, going back to the preseason, an interception he had against the Lions, and also the play he made last night, I think reaching in, I think it was a slant, uh, where he reached in and nearly uh, had a pick six. And, but, you but you know, you think about that, plus, like you say, the strength to set the edge and just his his, his smarts, his awareness on the field. And, and that's the thing, too, you, you, the, the word depth comes into play without Kyle Van Noy as his wife, Marissa, was delivering uh, their child. I mean, Van Noy's not out there, and he has become one of the top two, three defenders for the Patriots. It could have been the postseason MVP, speaking of the playoff performances last year. And there you had John Simon out there you know, in Kyle Van Noy's place, and the Patriots didn't miss a guy who was one of their most valuable players a year ago. It's just a fantastically deep roster. And when you add to that, Jamie Collins back in the fold, showing some mm-hmm. versatility, some athleticism. It was great to see that. Are we finally, Bob, going to see that version of him we were hoping to see during Collins' first stint in New England? Well, one would certainly uh, you know, hope so and, and would expect him to be motivated coming back, have the experience in Cleveland. Uh, they caught him midway through that you know, lucrative contract, uh, got a chance to see what it was like. The the, the money might have been, uh, it was as green, uh, and it was more of it in Cleveland uh, than, than he was getting uh, or was going to get if he had stayed a Patriot. Uh, but, you know, maybe everything else metaphorically uh, wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't, wasn't created right. on the other side. And so he has seen he has seen the two extremes now. But he's also playing on a one-year deal. And speaking of money, there's a lot of motivation. You know, mm-hmm. If he gets another bite of the apple after this, you know, he wants it to be you know, a big bite and, and for big dollars. And so you know, I, I just think that from day one, he's talked about it. And he's even said in, in how he talks to the media that, that he's buying in. He's buying in wholeheartedly this time around for the Patriots. And if he does that, I think he he exceeds what we saw when he was a pro bowler in 2015. I remember before he got traded early in the season uh, a few years ago, uh, talking to Matt Bowen, who, who does mm-hmm. a great job yep. on, on ESPN. And Matt, Matt considered him, in his words, the, the best defensive player in the NFL. And I think he has that, that ability. He's got that freakish athleticism, that ability. Football smart, strong, tough. And, and you know, by the end of that year, of course, was in Cleveland and, and, and you know, maybe wasn't buying in the way he is today as a Patriot, and that's why he wound up with the Browns. But uh, he's a guy that has all the tools. I mean, it's all it's all still there. And, and you know, you talk about uh, Collins as a thumper, too. That's another thing that stands about last night's season opener, Mark, as we talk, how physical the Patriots' defense was. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're paying a price if you're, if you're catching the ball over the middle against that defense, but also just the number of people to the ball, whether it was a running play or a passing play, very impressive. You know, switching gears, going back to the offense for a bit here, you've been talking about this guy, covered him for a long time, but are you officially out of ways to describe what Tom Brady does on a game-to-game, sometimes snap-to-snap <laughs> basis? You know, it's 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 really a case of you know the old cliche. Uh, you know, you run out of adjectives. Yeah. And you know, I think about, for example, the throws that he made last night. Whether it was the dart down the middle of the door set for his mm-hmm. first touchdown, or the pass to Gordon, that beautiful throw down the middle of the right. field. 
And then you think about it, this is a 42-year-old quarterback. Early on, wasn't in a rhythm. Thought there was a, a little difficulty in the, in the center-to-quarterback shotgun exchange, and that was something that popped up a bit watching uh, Teddy at center uh, mm-hmm. during his reps in training camp. And so that even throws off the timing a little bit. So it looked like there was a time when the Steelers got a little bit of pressure on Brady up the middle early on where you know, he was trying to get into a rhythm. But once he did, uh, you know, and I think about those two throws against the Steelers, as well as the throw that he made to Ryan Izzo, for example, uh, a couple of weeks ago in, in his one preseason appearance. And, uh, you know, this is a guy at 42 who, who looks better than he did at, at 32, perhaps. I, you know, maybe that's an exaggeration, but I just don't see. I know people talk about, uh, you know, some slippage. And, and sometimes I wonder if it's, it's just because they expect it and they're going to say it and, and, and until they really believe they're seeing it. But, from where I stand, where I sit, uh, I, I don't, I don't see that with this guy. And I think that you know, when I look around the league, and we see him in joint practices this year, Mark going up against Granite. These are quarterbacks who've been disappointed, like Marcus mm-hmm. Mariota and Ryan Daniel, two quarterbacks taken in the top eight. Saw him against Matthew Stafford on joint practice, not playing against him, but on the same field where you really get a, it's an interesting look in the joint practices because you know you can see these guys kind of on side by side fields or. You know, running plays, uh, back-to-back, uh, you know, a number of them, similar situations. And there's no comparison. Uh, you think about, like, the, the Bears the other night, Mitchell Trubisky, second right. round, uh, second overall pick, a young quarterback. Nowhere near uh, the, the, the player Brady was when he started to come into his own. I mean, nobody's, I think, as good as Brady in the, in the history of the game. But I just think, like, at 42... You know, this guy is so superior to everybody else, or at least to most of the quarterbacks. And when you think about the future, I'd buy in. I mean, I, I, I just think that, you know, Tom Brady will remain a high-level quarterback for as long as he wants to, uh, as long as he's on the field. And, you know, for the Patriots, you know, watching him do his thing, is, it's, it's magical. Yeah, I mean, Bob, I've said before that we all know that Father Time is undefeated, but if there's anybody yeah. that's going to take Father Time the distance, it's Tom Brady. He certainly seemed like he's willing to do it, and he can do it last night. Yeah, Mark, and I think, you know, Brady has a, a, a very good awareness about everything. And, and uh, you know, I can't see him wanting to stay on the field if he doesn't think he can do it. And I think as long as he thinks he can do it, uh, you know, there's, there's no reason to expect otherwise. I know people, you know, and, and, I, and I say this, of course, mindful of a lot of the, the talk radio narratives locally. You know, again, it's the expectation, well, he's going to be 43 next year, 44, 45. Now, you know, the development of Jared Stidham, you know, plays right. into the Patriots' long-term considerations. I'm going down a path maybe you didn't want me to, but no, I just think you know. And I, but when I when I look at him last night against the Steelers, and uh, and it wasn't a flawless performance by any stretch, but I, I just think you know that if if you you were thinking about two or three more years with a quarterback that we saw in the season opener against the Steelers. Uh, then uh, you know your 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 franchise is still in pretty good hands if, if 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 that's how it all shakes out. You know, a guy at the opposite end of the experience spectrum. That's Isaiah Wynn making his first NFL start. Seemed to me, upon first view, and to have a great debut. But what were your impressions of the Patriots' left tackle? Yeah, absolutely. We we didn't really n- notice him until uh, he got a holding call late in the game, right. and uh, you know that's again. Speaking of cliches, that's, yep. the, that's the thing you want from an offensive lineman. I just think he is so sound. Uh, he talked about you know the things he has to do 
to make up for his lack of height, for example, in comparison to other tackles. He has two kicks instead of one uh, to get set. But I just think the punch, and he's able to do it because he has such good footwork, the punch, the steadiness, he's never off balance, it seems. He, he always, it appears, you know, is able to, to maintain and have the advantage when it comes to leverage. I, I thought that last night, again, it was very impressive. I know the Pats had some other issues around the other end of the line. Marcus Cannon got hurt, of course, and, and you hold your breath hoping he's going to be okay. T.J. Watt is, is, a, you know, is a, a very good player uh, who uh, ha, you know gave, had, had pressure on Brady last year's game, gave the Patriots fits, and last night certainly uh, more than uh, a few times was into the backfield causing some issues. But on the other side, yeah, I don't recall seeing you know much pressure at the expense of uh, Isaiah Wynn or, or uh, you know guys beating him at, at all. And, and I think that you know the the kid is is smart. He's very very likable. I think he's very coachable uh, based on all the accounts uh, around the organization. And uh, he's uh, he's taking the first steps of his NFL career, but. Uh, again, that's a position, such an important position, that is in good hands as well. We look at the wide receivers last night. Josh Gordon with a big night, the big catch on the post, like you said, the touchdown. Dorsett with two touchdowns. Edelman doing what he does. Then you potentially could add Antonio Brown to that mix. How good is this wide receiver group already? And how great could it become if Antonio Brown buys in? If he buys in, and that's the key. And yeah. the, you know, he could be great for a long stretch, but will he continue to buy in if the ball distribution isn't to his liking? Because I think of all the all the targets Brady has, and there are obviously other contingencies. You know, how well will Demarius Thomas's health hold up? Coming off the Achilles, moved around well in the preseason finale, but then he was sidelined with a hamstring problem. That I'm going to guess that it was more precautionary. Uh, that the Patriots you know, knew that uh, you know the 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 best course uh, going into the opener was to sit him for the game against the Steelers, but you know he's a guy that's up there in years as wide receivers go. Production had diminished a bit, but if he can you know give the Patriots uh, you know just a, a fraction of what he used to give the Broncos, and 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 and, and by that maybe not the quantity of catches, but the quality of catches. Give mm-hmm. them some of those back shoulder throws, and give them some things that are you know, specifically catered to him. Then he compliments you know Edelman and Brown, who are probably the two best route runners in the NFL. And in, in the case of Antonio Brown, gives you so much variety in in what he can do with the ball, uh, and targeted his way inside, outside, short with the the yards after the catch or long running through coverage. And then you throw in Josh Gordon with what he does. And, you know, it's remarkable. We're not even talking about the guy that he drafted in the first round. He's not going right. to be available until around the midseason point. Yeah, it does look to be a fantastic group. Uh, Bob, I'm going to switch gears here as we start to wrap this one up. I requested, I asked for some help from the listeners to the SCO show for some questions that they wanted to ask you. And the overwhelming question that was recommended was, <laughs> what's it like calling a game with Scott Zolak? It's most uh, frequently asked question that I get. I figured. And I always I say, I always say it's, it's become a, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to do this, but it's become a uh, canned response. I bet it is. I bet it it's is. A, it's, exa- it's exactly how you would imagine. It to be. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> it's, it's, 
it's it's a blast. I mean, Zoe's excitable, and uh, there's a lot to be excited about with the Patriots. Uh, at the same time, he's a great analyst. He sees the game so well, like a quarterback in the NFL should. And in Scott Zolak's case, he was able to play the position for a decade, and he's very insightful. He also has great institutional knowledge, well aware of the Patriots' personnel, their playbook, uh, has the confidence, I think, of a lot of people around the organization, from the head coach to the quarterback to the other players who've been around long enough to know Zoe. And he's got a great personality. Uh, and uh, we have a blast. We've, we've had a lot of fun. We've had a lot of fun games to call and great moments to experience. Uh, so it, it's, it's, a, it's, been, it's been a great time. I always tell the story as well that uh, Zoe helped me tremendously before my first words on air before the 2013 preseason opener between the Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles. Nervous, uh, you know, certainly daunted by the challenge of trying to succeed or follow at least Gil Santos as a relative unknown in these parts. And uh, before I could say, hi, everyone, and welcome to Lincoln Financial Field, just as the commercial billboard was ending and the Recorded announcer was about to say, now let's go to the stadium to Scott Zolak and Bob Sosi. So turns to me with seconds to spare and says, hey, Bob, don't F this up. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I did exactly what you just did. It put me at ease. And then beyond that, I think following Gil and Gino, such a tremendous radio team, working with Zoe, our broadcast is a lot different. And I think that's helped gain us acceptance as well. We, we, we hopefully don't strike anyone as a poor man's uh, imitation, impersonation of the greatest skill. And, right. you know, we, we've got to try to carve our own niche. And, and I think Zoe's style and the substance that goes with it uh, has helped us to do that. No, the two of you together are fantastic. Patriots fans are in great hands with the two of you now, Bob and Zoe. Bob, let me get you out of here on this one. I know it's early in the week. We're just wrapping up the week one game, but we've got Miami at Miami, traditionally a Patriots house of horrors. We saw how it went down there last year, but they're coming off a 59-10 to 10 loss, some rumblings of perhaps discontent down in Miami with Brian Flores, a familiar face. What are your, sort of your early expectations for this week two contest? Yeah, Mark, you know, history tells us, and especially the most recent history in South Florida, that this game is different for the Patriots. Mm -hmm. And you can't take anything for granted just because the Ravens had over 600 yards, just because Lamar Jackson threw five touchdown passes and the Dolphins were completely inept, it seems, in every phase. You know, this is different. It's the Patriots going to South Florida. But at the same time, I think when you look at the personnel the Dolphins have and when you look at the problems that you've, or, you've just summarized uh, and, and the players that they've traded away uh, just in the last couple of weeks with the young coaching staff, uh, I think that you, know, you, you can feel a little bit better about saying, that, look, the, the Patriots are going there in a, in a really good spot for them. It's week two. The Dolphins are kind of in disarray. They're not really talented. Uh, they've turned over most of their roster. They uh, have a line that can't protect an old quarterback. Uh, they have a, a defense that uh, you know really got sliced up by the Ravens. Couldn't cover at all. And Lamar Jackson certainly, I would imagine, uh, you know, has improved a great deal when it comes to passing. But uh, by no means would one expect him to be that much better than he was a year ago as an NFL rookie, the way he was throwing the ball yesterday. 
so I, I just think that you know, in, in, in this situation, uh, this Dolphins team is 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 in a is in a real uh, interesting spot. And uh, you know, while the former Belichick assistants have done fairly well in recent years, if not extremely well, like Matt Patricia last year, for example, with the bad Detroit team in Week Two. I just think what Brian Flores is dealing with on and off the field in that locker room, uh, he, he, it's going to be very, very difficult for Miami to come up with a game plan and execute it uh, to con- contain the Patriots' offense and score enough against the Patriots' defense. Last year we know Frank Gore and Brandon Bolden had a great game against the Pats, and Ryan Tannehill had always played, I thought, his best against the Patriots down in mm-hmm. South Florida, uh, but he also had... You know, more options to go to, not that it was an overly talented team, but in this case, you know, I, I look at the roster and I say, okay, Devontae Parker and, uh, you know, maybe Kenyon Drake, but, you know, outside of it, those guys, I mean, who are these Dolphins? Right. Yeah. It, it does look to be a bit of a bare cupboard down there in Miami. Maybe they are going into the tank for two or approach as people are perhaps surmising that that's going to be the route that they're going to take this year. But, yeah, and, and let me say, can I mark it? I, quickly add, look, I, I have I have such respect for for Brian Flores too, and he's such a competitor. And I think that you know he's going to get it right. I, I do believe that uh, whether he has the talent ultimately to succeed in the job, but I I think that you know as a coach, he will more than acquit himself uh, in that situation in South Florida. Uh, and obviously, this game is going to mean a great deal to him. So I I don't mean it in any disrespectful way about Flores and the other coaches there, especially those who were in New England. But it, it's a it's a real tough situation for them yeah. to navigate right now. Yeah, it's it's a very tough situation, and I, I think football fans in general would like to see Flores turn this around because we like to see it when the Dolphins are good. I mean, we would like to see it when the AFC East is competitive, and I think he will get it right. We saw the job he did with his defense last year, and I think he'll bring that to Miami eventually. Yeah, I would agree, and I think that you know you look at the AFC East yesterday. What a wild game in the, in right. the Meadowlands! Uh, the Buffalo gives give give the Bills credit for coming back against the Jets, but that's a really uh, disappointing outcome for Adam Gase in his first game with Darnold, the quarterback, and uh, you know the Bills to turn it over as often as they did, and Josh Allen uh, giving it away as carelessly as he did throughout the day, and you know the Bills do come away with the win, but I think that's a game that has to be uh, concerning for both organizations going ahead, and, and it certainly looks like right now, granted, Week one to week two, they always say it's the most. It's the week when teams show their most improvement. It's also the week when we all, uh, outside of those teams, overreact the most. Exactly. But I think I think after week one in Miami's state of affairs, and then you see what happened between the Jets and the Bills on both sides. You know, a lot of the same issues are still there for Buffalo, even though they've added pieces to try to help Allen. Uh, and then on the other side for the Jets. Uh, you know, really a disappointing way to begin under Adam Gase to to, to lose that lead at home uh, the way they did. And, and and I know the Bills play well defensively, but, uh, you know, Sam Darnold, I think everybody's looking for him to take a big step forward under Gase this year, and uh, it wasn't, wasn't the case yesterday. And three teams that the Patriots will see over the next three weeks with three divisional games coming up. Bob, you and Zoe will be there for all of them. I cannot thank you enough for coming on with me today. Really appreciate you, sir. Hey, Mark, I love listening to you and and your work, having you on my podcast. Hopefully the next time we can do this, I will sound more more cogent analysis and and, and insights because 
uh, it's catching up to me right, right now, the lack of sleep. I'm, I'm not one who, who's a morning person anyway, and I know we're recording just as a.m. gives way to p.m. today, but uh, the next time if we get a chance to do it, if, if you'll be so kind, let's I will say, definitely bring more to the conversation. No, Bob, you were fantastic, but let's save her after a 1 p.m. <laughs> Sunday game instead of the you know the night. I'm a little shaky too, but Bob, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. I truly, truly appreciate it. Folks, that will do it for episode 13 of the Sco Show. I will be back tomorrow. Kyle Krabs from the Finit to Win It podcast and the Draft Network will come on. We'll talk some more about that week two matchup down in South Beach. Until then, friends, please do Keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxborough.